Welcome to People, Places, and How We Use Spaces, where we chat with amazing, successful people whose stories inspire us. As a bonus, all of our guests have something to teach us about commercial real estate based on their own experiences. I am your host, Lisa Christensen. My companies help business owners, developers, and investors buy, sell, and lease space. On today's episode of People and Places and How We Use Spaces, I'm joined by my guest, Roger King. Roger is a successful real estate investor, educator, and professional drummer. Over the past 27 years, he has made millions through real estate investing, and he's eager to teach others what he has learned through his successes and failures. Before we get started, I really want to reach out and thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I would really appreciate it if you would follow, subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now I'd like to give a drum roll to welcome Roger King. Hey, Roger. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. You know, it looks like you're in a little warmer climate. It's I think it was five below this morning when I when I got to the studio. Uh, <laughs> looks yeah. like it's a little warmer where you are. It is. This is my home studio. I uh, live in Puerto Rico, Dorado area, if anybody listening knows. And as you can see from the reflection in the glass on the TV, I live on the ocean. And it's one of the best decisions I've ever, ever made. I love it here. Wow. Well, real estate's been good to you, it sounds like. It has. I mean, it's not been easy, but it's been good. It's been very good. Yeah. So so tell me where it all began. Uh, you know, where, what did you, um, you know, you said you went to school in Boston, right? Yeah. College of Boston. I, what yeah. happened after that? Well, I went to Berkeley College of Music thinking that, you know, the life of uh, a famous jazz musician was in my future. And I have a lot of friends that got to pursue that path. But I realized early on that I didn't have enough experience. I didn't have enough interaction with some of the older musicians to learn, you know, some of the history uh, quicker. So I decided, you know, when I got out of college in 95, that I was going to start an investment company with my father and my brother-in-law in Orlando. And so I did that starting in 1996. And, um, you know, I... I guess I started driving around listening to Ron Legrand tapes in my car and really just trying to understand how do you how do you find property? How do you negotiate? How do you do all of this stuff? And I was driving for dollars, as they say, and I would look for those vacant homes that looked uh, really beat up. I'd write them down, write the addresses down, and then somehow find the owners, whether it's through knocking on the door or a uh, posting a letter on the door or something, talking to a neighbor and just started doing that. And it took a while, it took me about, um, golly, uh, four months, six months, something like that to find my first property that way. And finally I did. And uh, I mean, the rest literally since then is history. Really? So yeah. you talked <laughs> about your dad being yeah. kind of there with you when you started. Did oh, yeah. Was he an influence in the real estate world or what? What's yeah, yeah, totally. He there? started, yeah, he started investing way back in 1980. Okay. And again, at the time, you know, I think I was what, 13 years old. And I was very focused on wanting to be a famous drummer. But I also was watching him in the background really change our family's lives and our futures. And I remember. One morning, we're driving from my hometown, Englewood, Florida, 
up to Sarasota, uh, my mom, my sister, and I, and him having to stop at, I think, a lawyer's office or, or, or something and coming out and showing us this check for $18,000. And we were blown away because times before that were really hard. And we had this invigoration of what the potential for our futures could be. And it was really kind of palpable. We had a blast. I think we went to Disney World that weekend. I think he blew maybe you know $3,000 of it that time. And it was just one of those moments. And you know I can remember it vividly sitting in the car with my mom and and having fun and her being really giddy and happy and not having had that uh, excitement in a long time. Uh, they'd had some bad business deals that, uh, you know, bad business partners. And she just really, she was exuding this sweet, joyful excitement. And I, I man, I haven't thought about that in that detail in a long time. So, you know, that's really where I, I saw him make these massive changes. And, you know, as, as I had the realizations about where I was in the musical abilities realm, I realized that there was another potential for me. And that is through investing in real estate, you know, not just music, but also how can I figure out how to buy a house or how can I buy an apartment or how can I buy a mobile home park? And those things have really carried me through for almost 28 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you buy the first house, right? And, you know, where do you start? I mean, you had to not know exactly what to do next, right? I had, I was so green. And I remember this so vividly asking my father, you know, I, I, we, we'd had a company for a couple of months and I'm saying, hey, dad, what is equity? <laughs> you know, and just thinking, okay, so if I don't know what equity is, you know, what else don't I know? So he told me, you know, equity is just the difference between what you owe and how much the property is worth, you know? And I thought, oh, okay. So I had to learn everything from the very beginning, you know, and you infuse a little bit of the cocky 26 year old into that mix, you know, and you add another component of, my father, who's been in it for 15 years into the mix, you know, and this is the yeah. way we do this. And this is how, and I'm I thinking, bet. well, what about this? And what about that? And so it was learning curve on a multitude of levels, you know, not mm -hmm. only the family stuff, inner dynamics, because my brother-in-law was in it and having to negotiate all that stuff with my sister and him and their newborn, my niece, Grace, and, and you know, my dad, my mom, and, and all of us, you know, just trying to sort out how do we... How do we come back together as adults and and learn about real estate? And you know, the first property really was me driving for dollars, seeing this house sort of tucked back into the uh, into the woods, if you will, in Orlando, and writing the address down, looking around the property because it was abandoned clearly, wow. and talking to the neighbor, and then asking my dad, Dad, you know, I found this house, and you know, the neighbor said that she had passed away a few years ago. I think it had been abandoned for three years. And he wow. said, well, what, what about the probate office? I said, what's the probate? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes through that whole thing. And so I go down to you know the probate office in, in Orlando because there was nothing online yet. And so I went in, I said, you know, I'm looking for this property address. And they gave me the file. 
Uh, they said, you can't remove it from the office. I said, okay. So I found an attorney who was representing the, uh, the estate and I called them up and they were in North Carolina and they said, well, yeah, we'd be interested in selling. You know, we have no desire to own a property in Orlando. And I said, okay, my brother and I filled out a purchase and sale agreement and faxed it over. <laughs> right? I remember feeding it in, you know, seven pages of the Florida Association of Real Estate uh, Realtors contract. And, and I think I offered $500. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. Yeah. No, no, no. And so, because all I'd been hearing was just, you know, who cares what the offer is? Just make an offer. I'm like, okay, look, who cares? You know, so literally 10 minutes after we faxed it over, we I got a call and it was the, one of the attorneys. She said, Mr. King, I see what you're doing here, but I'm sorry, we, we can't accept an offer that low. I said, well, that's fine. What would be an offer you could accept? And she said, well, we cannot accept anything lower than $10,000. And I oh, said, okay, let me, uh, let me think about that. And so, you know, my brother-in-law and I are jumping up and down. We're like, okay, let's try this. So I just crossed it out and initialed it and put 10,500. And I think it was probably a half an hour later, we get a call back. We said, we accept your contract and they faxed it back, signed. And it was like, now what? Okay. (laughs) I just want to flip the contract. And so the idea was I'm going to create a little flyer and go down to the real estate investor club in Orlando, which is still operating, which is enormous. But this was 1996 in the summer. And, and it was one of those times where they said, okay, so get up. And if you've got a deal, you know, just tell everybody about it and, you know, then meet them in the back of the room. So I got up and I said, Hey, I've got this house, uh, you know, for, for sale, I'm flipping the contract and, meet me in the back if you want to know more. And so I handed out, you know, 10 or 15 flyers. And one guy said, Hey, I want to buy the contract. I said, okay, what's your offer? He said, 35,000. I said, well, that math means that I'm going to make 25,000. I'm like, yes, this is, I can do this. You know, if I can do this, then I, yeah. I mean, it was just such an enormous and impactful moment for what I thought I could do and what I thought that other people you know, down the road, what other people can do. Because if I can do it, if I'm just a a wannabe jazz drummer, you know, (laughs) and other people have business degrees, the idea is, look, we can all do this kind of thing. We just have to focus. We just have to put the time in. We have to educate ourselves. And and I was fortunate enough that I had a mentor and I was listening to audio tapes. And it took about three weeks, I think, for us to finish the escrow and everything. And I walked out of escrow uh, and I'd made you know, just about $25,000 on my first deal. It's amazing. It is, right? I mean, it's amazing. How real estate? <laughs> yes. So they were all that easy, weren't they? Oh, everything. Like, yeah, that's why I live on the beach. <laughs> so what? So you've got 25000 What do you do next? Do you go driving for dollars again? Well, the idea that I had, because I was so brilliant, was... Let's get some bandit signs. Let's invest $500. They're like, well, what about all these other things we should be doing with money? I'm like, nope. We're going to put $500 into bandit signs because that's what, you know, my teacher, Ron LeGrand, was saying. Like, okay, so put up bandit signs, you know, and we bought a bunch of those and I would put them up all over. And this was, again, 1996. Literally in three days, I got a call. 
And we got three properties out of that one phone call. He referred me to a couple people and I got two more properties, one of which I decided, you know, to move into because wow. it was just such a smoking deal. So, you know, we did some owner financing, we did some lease option kind of things with those. And my goal was just how can I keep parlaying this into something so that it generates cash and so that I can live, you know, that was a major concern still, you know, how do we all live and generate enough cash and just keep growing this business. And then we, you know, we found some properties that um, they would call us and we would fix those up. So then the idea was, how can we go borrow money against it, like hard money loan? And I remember that was a whole new epiphany. And um, I can't remember the guy's name. I think he's pr probably still acting. I think we're Instagram friends. But I remember driving over to his house, probably 97 at this point. And he's got a, he's a hard money lender. He's got a Porsche in the driveway. And we walk into his home office, really nice office. And he's like, okay, we'll just sign these, you know, whatever, 10 documents and uh, we'll wire the money into your account and, you know, tomorrow. Holy cow. And I think at the time the interest rate was 18% wow. on hard money, right? A one-year note um, and six points. Oh my gosh. Now, now, I mean, it was, it was only a hundred thousand dollar loan. Right. I think we were buying the house for 50 55,000, something like that. And we're going to put 15 into it. We're going to make 25, you know, but the idea was I then saw another path that was more attractive to me than pulling up toilets and pulling out, you know, kind of urine soaked carpet. Cause that was just in the hot summer sun there, of Florida. Yeah. I mean, of course, that. right. Yeah. We have to do that kind of stuff. I think Yeah, if we have a lot of time, not much experience and not a lot of money. Right. right. How, what do we what do we trade for missing one of those pieces or yeah. in my instance, two of those pieces? <laughs> so I saw this guy loaning money and I'm like, someday, someday. And after a while, my father and I sort of butted heads. I decided, you know what? It's better to have a good father relationship than a you know struggling business relationship. <laughs> and he would laugh at it. I'm saying that, too. And, and so I left, I left the company. I started playing drums full-time. Did you really? I did. That's I did. And I, we were touring all around. I was in a band in Orlando called Swingerhead back in the early swing craze in 98, 99, 2000. And um, then a few years later, moved to California to start back up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy, crazy, crazy road. Wow. Fun. And I've learned a ton. So talk to me about this hard money lender lending. Is that still yeah. a, a, a big part of what you do or what, how did you find success in that or how did that work? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I did have some, some really good success. So having gone through the process of loaning money to people that were fixing up houses and making a ton more money, got my brain thinking, well, how can I do this a little bit differently? And I coupled that with loaning money to some guy that I'd met in San Diego at one of the real estate investor club meetings, probably 2011 or 12. And, and he became what I call a professional borrower. You know, somebody that really understands the, the process of borrowing money and in an LLC and putting it on a house. And he was living in Cleveland, Ohio, where one of the, one of the suburbs 
borrowed money for the house and was just using the money that I was putting, you know, doing draw payments on. He was using that to live on and just to spend and not getting the property done. And so after we funded the whole deal, you know, the deal was half finished. And I thought he was a nice guy. So I thought that I could trust him. And that's a major lesson that I've learned is that just because they're nice doesn't mean they have your interests in mind or doesn't mean they're competent. So that's a really big sort of life lesson that I've really had to come to grips with numerous times. Just because they're nice and they may be my friend doesn't mean that they you know, will follow through, will spend the money the right way, will do what they say they're going to do and pay me back. So having gone through all of that, I realized that I wanted to be in control of it. I didn't want to loan money on a house. I wanted to structure it so that I'm one of the partners on it. So if somebody calls me and says, hey, I want to, I want to borrow money, I say, I'm not going to loan money, but I'll create a trust that buys the property. And my mm-hmm. company is the LLC. And I'm going to assign the beneficial interest in the trust to you as your security. And then you're going to give me a promissory note and a chattel mortgage pledging that back to me so that if you default, if you screw up on any of the terms in our joint venture agreement, then I just take the beneficial interest of the trust back. I don't have to foreclose on the property. Wow, that's smart. Right. Well, that's because on that professional borrower, I lost about $140,000. Yeah. That hurts. So, okay. I want to be smart, but you know, uh, and my dad was telling me the whole time, don't structure like that. Use the trust, do it this way, do it that way. I'm like, no, no, this is a nice guy, dad. Two and a half years later, $140,000 later, you know, you, you lick your wounds, you pick yourself back up and you figure out, okay, what can I do better? So, yeah. yeah. Super interesting. So that's how I structure those. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily loan money to people anymore. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So Thanks. what does your empire look like today? You've got all kinds of things going on. All kinds of things. Yeah. So I think it was in 2015, 16, I, I started seeing the writing on the walls. We were doing a lot of fix and flips. I have a lot of investor capital. And I saw that the transactional nature turning a property around in four to six to nine months was slowing down. And some of my bigger projects were not getting done in you know nine months and they were lasting 18 months. And then that meant the project was losing money. And so how do we, you know, how do I personally pivot my business model from the fix and flip partnering deal with my investor capital into some other cash flowing thing that's generating cash flow? And so the idea was, well, if there's an economic downturn back in 15, I really kind of saw the recession hitting. I thought mobile home parks. Mobile home parks are going to historically always improve when there's a downturn in the economy, simply because people that are paying $1,000 for an apartment still need a place to live, and they'll pay $500 to $650 a month for a mobile home versus you know, going homeless or moving into a hotel. You know, so the idea was what's going to be beneficial when the market goes into a downturn. And so I had a few business partners and we started buying mobile home parks. And now I have one business. Yeah. So now I have one business partner, Brandon, 
And uh, he's fantastic. He's an operations guy and I'm more the money guy. You know, I talk to my investors and I help, uh, you know, structure the, the uh, ownership documents and, and LLCs and the, you know, this, you know, for doing a syndication, you know, a lot of that stuff and then generating the uh, capital fund, uh, capital raising and, and the funding of, of the projects. Um, but he's definitely more of the, the hands-on uh, operations guy. Um, yeah, those guys are good to find. Oh, those yeah. The mobile home park. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, he doesn't tell me, I think he tells me about half of the stuff that goes wrong. And there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong, but you know, I'll catch him on either a good day or a bad day. And he's either really super mad or he's super excited about, you know, what's, <laughs> and I don't, I mean, look, I don't think he really gets mad. I just think it's frustrating sometimes when a manager doesn't do what they say that, that they can do, that they will do, you know, and you, you just have to let that stuff slide off your back. And we were talking about it last night. He's like, you know, I guess some of the labels that I put to some of these things aren't helpful. I said, yeah, you know, and yeah. stuff that I learned in the Tony Robbins world. So I own, you know, we currently, he and I own uh, 15 mobile home parks right now. Really all like, around the country? Four, 14. I'm sorry, 14. Uh, I think we're about to buy another one. Maybe uh, I'm not sure. We have a lot of improvements that we're doing on a lot of different parks. And, and, you know, my, my focus is I really want to continue to button up our operations even tighter than we have now. And I think that means bringing on a couple more people. And as opposed to expanding, I think that, you know, having somebody who's really exceptional at systematizing will help us grow uh, more and more and more. And we brought a few people on this last year. One guy was great. One gal is great. We had to let the guy go. We've still got this lady. So, you know, there's all, all of that. So that's one of the, you know, components of my portfolio. Another is I finished before building a spec home. Yeah. Sorry. Before you go, I just want to ask a couple more questions about mobile home parks because I absolutely, I don't think it's, I think it's one asset type that I've never underwritten. I don't even know if I've looked at an offering memorandum for a mobile home park. So what are the right. nuances for owning a mobile home park? Well, I think uh, something to sort of remember is that we're looking into a business and obviously, underwrite, if you're doing underwriting on any sort of commercial real estate, you know what you're looking for and expenses, you know, with the NOI, you know, where are the gaps in the management? So all of that's the same. I think off the cuff, some of the things that you're going to really want to know about are, you know, what's available with the city in terms of if you have a vacant lot so we ran into this in one of our parks. We had to remove a, or the previous owner had to remove a home out of the park. I think it got damaged somehow. But the the city ordinance only allowed them to replace it within a short period of time. And they didn't. And so now the city ordinance says you're not allowed to put a new unit on there. And I don't know how they can actually do that. You know, but that's something to sort of pay attention to. That's an underwriting concern, right? A diligence thing. I think that, you know, people like you looking into, you know, would this be a good park? Would that not be a good park? You want to look at, you know, the water and the sewer and electrical and all of those features differently than you would for an apartment or um, multifamily sort of space. You really need to understand if you, like we had a sewer lagoon 
on our first uh, park in Oklahoma. I don't know if your listeners know what a sewer lagoon is. I don't, you know, it's a big it patch of land. Good. No, no, no. It's a patch of land that's been probably dug out or was a pre-existing lake. And all of the sewer line runs into the lake. So all the human waste goes into the lake and it's fantastically awful, but they're permitted right in certain areas of the country. And you just have to maintain it. You've got to do what you got to do. Well, being our first park, you know, learning curve about two years in, it started raining. This is uh, outside of Oklahoma city. It started raining so badly, worst rain season in 20 years in Oklahoma, of course, and our sewer lagoon is getting more and more and more and more full. And there's a department that, you know, monitors this stuff. And they, they called us up and they said, hey, your, your sewer lagoon is starting to overflow. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like four and a half acres. And I think it's 10 feet deep. So it's a massive lagoon. And next to it, with not much barrier, is, yeah. is a lake. We have oh. an actual lake that people use to fish and to all, you know, groundwater and all that stuff. So there's a real concern that if this overflows into the lake, oh, so they're like, you've got to do something. And we're like, well, what do you do? And they said, well, you could, you know, you need to pump that. And so we're like, okay. So we hired a septic t- truck to come out. I think we spent $80,000 that season. Oh my gosh. Pumping water out. That's crazy. Crazy. And then, so then it, you know, it, it worked and we didn't violate anything. I think a year later we get a call from the, the same person at the, the, the county or whatever. And she says, you know, there's some other acreage next to your land that was already pre-approved for land application, land application. I I don't even know what that is (laughs) again. And they said, well, you know, you can pump this with a hose onto that acreage over there. That's what that, that's, you know, when we originally set this up 30 or 20 years ago, that's what that land was going to be used for anyway. Nobody told us. The previous owner we bought it from, bought it from the original developer. And we were supposed to have those rights included. They were never disclosed. You know, they were never told to us, you know, and the, it was just, I mean, it was just like, uh. $80,000 just gone. You know, the one thing about this business is that you, you never see the same thing twice. You know, it's every project has its own, like, Hey, this happened and this happened. It's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, it's crazy. All right. You've got mobile home business. And then tell me about, you were about to tell me about um, some of your other ventures. Yeah. So about a year and a half ago, I got a call from a Tony Robbins platinum partnership friend who we'd met on, you know, our, our Tony Robbins Facebook page. And we started talking about some numbers on a property she's looking at. And, you know, very long story short, I bought into this resort up in the uh, Brainerd chain of lakes in uh, Minnesota. And it's uh, it's a fun, I think it's been around for 85 years now. It's just a, a beautiful resort you know, spring and summer and fall, it's open right now. You know, I think fish, ice fishing isn't happening because it's too warm this year. But it's gotten you know, colder. It's gotten colder. So you're probably good now. 
Probably. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm not an ice fisherman, so I don't know, you know, all of all of that stuff. But but it's been a fun, uh, fun year and a half first year and watching What's all the, the people. Resort? It's the Heath's Resort. Hmm, in I've never Minnesota. Heard of it. Yeah. yeah it's Minnesota, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's heathsresort.com. And, you know, I'm talking to my business partner yesterday, Erica, and it's been a it's been such a fun project to to own, co-own, you know. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, I just I I love it. I haven't even been there yet. I was planning on going last September, but travel plans just kind of got screwed up. But I'm and I'm not going to go up in the winter. You know, I, I live on a beach for a reason. But I for sure this uh, spring I'm going to be heading up there. Well, you'll have to you have to give me a call when you head here, and well, um. We'll, we'll do dinner or something. Yeah, for sure. I've got other people in Minneapolis area that are like, hey, man, you got to cut when you come up here, spend an extra day. I'm like, okay, okay. So I'll, and I'll tell be me, there. you also help people learn this business, right? I do. You know, I was at a Tony Robbins event about four and a half years ago. And for some reason, you know, people have been asking me to you know, put up a teaching thing for years. I'm like, you know, if you need help, I'll, I'll talk to you, I'll, you know, guide you through some stuff. And which was one of the things that got me down here to Puerto Rico. And finally it clicked, you know, I know all this stuff and I can help people. I really want to simplify ideas on how to start as a real estate investor. How do you grow from five properties to a hundred properties? You know, how do you grow your business from 100 properties into multiple states, you know, across the country? And what are the things you need to do? So I've really created this new course, a new membership group. And the idea is to really help as many people as I can. And so I'm, I'm truly excited. I even wrote a book. I, I do have it here. <laughs> this is the zero to 60 miles per hour in one week guide to real estate investing. And I mean, it just, it took me, that was the pandemic, right? That's that part of that's the pandemic. And it was just such a fun experience that I'm super excited to help, you know, people learn real estate investing, either if you've never bought a property, how do you buy your first? And then, you know, get those five steps. What are those five steps you need to take to get to your first real estate investment? And then, you know, level two will be, how do you grow that into something even bigger so that, if you don't want to work a nine to five anymore, you won't have to. Yeah. Some people, really. you know, I've got, I've got friends that are doctors and they don't want to give up the doctor thing in order just to become a real estate investor. So how do those people then transition their capital or a portion of their portfolio into producing better? You know, when's a good time to sell? When's a good time to tend on exchange? Those, those are the things that I talk to those folks about. So without giving away the farm on this podcast, give us a couple of tips that we might learn in one of your courses. Well, it depends on who, you know, who's listening. If if you're a beginner, if you've never bought a piece of property because of just you're you're either too scared to take the leap uh, or you just don't have the time, you know, there are people that have gone through it that have powered through that fear have then realized that you know the fear is just it's pretend you know i would say if you have fear about starting the process just pretend that it doesn't exist you know just say you know what okay 
I'm going to put that on the shelf back here. That fear, just going to put that next to the salt and pepper. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm going to just act as if I am a real estate investor. And as we start to go through this process, you know, we're going to say, okay, so that's not difficult. Oh, that's not difficult. You're not going to lose everything by going through the learning phase, right? You need to understand what escrow is, what a contract is, how to make an effective offer, how to protect yourself in that offer. All of that stuff is protected. Is it helpful to have a mentor? Absolutely. There is so much information on the internet these days. You know, most people uh, have really good information. I have, you know, 28 years experience now. So I've been through that thing you're about to go through 150 times, 200 times, whatever it is. And, and I can understand how to really help somebody start that process. I can help somebody understand um, what are the things to look out for. I can help people understand, you know, the idea of, you know, protecting yourself up front, structuring your entity up front so that it can't come back to haunt you in three years. And I love it. So you're going to be able to find this stuff on the internet, or you can find it in one area, you know, and that's really my goal is to just help as many people as I can. That is awesome. That's amazing. Thank so you. what are your goals and objectives for the coming year? Ah, uh, I have some legacy projects that I'm getting off my plate. Some, uh, some, you know, I was talking about friends not honoring the agreements. And I've got a couple of those projects that are finally wrapping, wrapping up. Uh, they're supposed to be wrapped up any moment now. Uh, and I'm excited to have those off my plate. I've got a property in Palm Springs, a spec home that I built that's for sale. If anybody's interested in a $3.4 million house in Palm Springs, California, it's for sale. <laughs> Message me here and um, get that off the plate. That's taken a lot of time, three years, and um, really focus on growing this community that we're building, uh, helping people, you know, whether again, it's from starting or, you know, growing or expanding their portfolio and how they can do that safely. That's really, really the big thrust. And of course, you know, I'm going to buy three to five properties this year, as always. So that's really the goal. And just uh, excited to stay on the beach. And I'm going to, I'm just here to help. Well, Roger, it's just been such a pleasure to get to know you and to hear all of the things that you've done and are doing. And I'm so glad we were able to find each other and and have this time. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And if if I can help with anything, whether you or any of your uh, followers, I'm happy to just help. You know, uh, you can reach me at rogerking.com. I think maybe in your notes, you'll put all my my social media stuff. We'll absolutely do that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a great website that, you know, that has lots of little tutorials on it. And yeah, so you're a great resource. That's why I strive to be better and better and better. I want to help as many people as I can. So thank you for your time. And I wish you the best for your 24 too. Thanks a lot, Roger. Thank you for listening to this episode of People, Places, and How We Use Spaces. I am business owner, broker, commercial real estate investor, and your host, Lisa Christensen. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. To connect with me or the guests on today's show, 
shoot me an email at lisa at christiansonandco.com. That's lisa at christiansen, the word and, co.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.